Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. We're going to continue our, um, our King Jesus series. And as we, as we do it last week, I'm just going to admit, last week it was a lot of like knowledge and not as much like how to apply that knowledge because we had to set the series up tonight. It's going to have a lot more to do with like how to, how to live with Jesus as your king. So as we do that, um, I want to start off with telling you a story, the story of my life. Now that gets me thinking about a song, right? We should almost, we, yeah, we almost just need to sing it to get it out of our heads, but I'll spare us. I'll, I'll spare you hearing me sing 1D. Um, but you can go ahead and put the picture up there, Matt. Um, that's a picture of, I'm the one in the cowboy hat, of course, right? Um, that's a picture of me when I was in youth group. Um, yeah, my face is, yeah, it's the shadowing on the, the screen here, but that's me, I promise. Um, it's uh, me and some of my friends. Uh, you may know Phil, Phil, Bl- that's Phil Blankenship, the dark shirt in the back, when he had hair. Some of you know Phil. Um, but uh, that's when we were, uh, I was with youth group on a mission trip in Arizona. We were putting, um, this, these five guys putting a roof on an Indian reservation. And we, we took a picture holding the thermometer because it was 112 degrees. And I think we took that picture in the morning. It was like 9 or 10 in the morning. So it got hotter than that. So we were up there, you know, and um, it, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I went home with a really bad sunburn because my youth pastor kept me, Matt, come down, take a drink. Ah, drinks are for wimps. Matt, you need to come down and reapply. Yeah, I was working shirtless. You need to come reapply your, your sunscreen. I was like, real men don't wear sunscreen. So I... Uh, I went home dehydrated and with blisters worth of sun, sunburn on my back. Um, but uh, yeah, all that to say, um, I want to tell you a little bit about like you know, my experience growing up as I was, you know, with Jesus. Uh, I moved to this area and started attending this church when I was five. Um, my parents, my dad um, actually got a job here as one of the pastors and I was five years old. Um, I'm 33 now, so I don't know how long that makes me at Lewis. Um, all you math whiz is like 27, 28 years or something like that. Uh, so ever since really I can remember, I've come to. Ch- I've been at this church and I have been here every time because you don't have a choice. Like I didn't have a choice. Like every time there was something here, I had to be here, right? And uh, when I was five years old. My mom led me to Jesus. My mom told me how I could be saved. When I was five years old, um, I I stopped trusting myself and I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. Um, I confessed my sins and from that moment on, I've been saved. From that moment on, my eternal like destiny is heaven. But something happened as I got older. Like I just got, I'll be, I'll just be honest with you guys. I got tired of hearing Bible stories. I got tired of church things. I got tired of church people I'll just stop there because, you know, I, I have to vent, you know. But I, I got really burnt out even as a kid and as a young teenager. Yeah, I, I, I would go, but I wasn't there, if that makes sense. But then that all changed when I was in ninth grade going into 10th grade. I went on a mission trip to Dominican Republic with my youth group. And I, found, I figured out that Jesus wasn't someone you just learn about at church or at Sunday school. He wasn't just verses you memorize in Awana, but he's someone that you can serve every day and it's an adventure to serve him. So it was almost like I got awakened to who Jesus was. And I really, I, mean, I was always saved from the moment I put my trust in, in Jesus. But from that moment though, I, in the Dominican Republic, I, I fell in love with Jesus. Um, he became someone that was so exciting and so real to me. So when I got back, like, 
from the trip. I was like, I want to do everything I can for Jesus. Um, there was a group of us. Um, John was in the group. He was, he's in middle school, but he, he was... Um, he was in our group. We'd go to a nursing home every week, and we'd, like, reach out to the people in the nursing home. Um, then the next day, that was, I think we did that on Mondays, and then on Tuesdays, we would join our church for door-to-door visitation. And, and, and John and I, and a bunch of, yeah, of, of other, yeah, a bunch of us, we would go door-to-door. We went Guyana States. We went downtown, down, downtown, Barbersville, knocking on people's doors, telling them about Jesus, inviting them to church. John and I got a gun pulled on us one time in Barbersville. It was so much fun. You should try it sometime. Um, but, uh, but, I, so I was playing soccer, so I'd go right from soccer practice. You know, soccer practice would go from like, you know, 3.45 to 5.30. So I would, yeah, I, I'd show up stinking, sweating at church. And we'd go do the nursing home. We'd go do this, do, go do that. I was working a part-time job too. So I was just, I thought I was balling for Jesus. You know what I mean? But something started to happen. I, I, did, I was doing all this because I fell in love with Jesus, but I started getting tired I started feeling obligated to do certain things, and I started doing things not out of love for Jesus, but I started doing things out of obligation. I was like, I, I got to do this or I'm a bad Christian, or I got to do this, or, you know, people are going to think that I'm slipping spiritually, so I need to show up to do visitation. Um, you know, I, I better volunteer to do that thing at church so the old people will think I'm a good kid and, and, and protect my dad's, like, you know, pastoral image. And I was doing things for all the wrong reasons, and something happened to where I was working so hard for Jesus that I fell out of love with Jesus. I guess you could say that working for Jesus wasn't working for me spiritually. And it wasn't until I was away at college that I, yeah, I realized how far I had gone from Jesus. And even though I was doing all the things, even though the, the old ladies and old guys at church really liked me because they thought I was like the model, you know, Christian kid, like my heart was very far from God. And it took me yeah, having some encounters with God, some encounters with Jesus to realize that. Um, and... I think maybe that's kind of a lot of our stories. Uh, yeah, this is one of those times where, you know, there's a, there's a lot of homecoming stuff going on. There's a lot of extracurriculars going on. So you're here tonight. You're the committed, you know, you're the ones who really love Jesus. You know, you're the ones who are here. And, you know, you're here every time the door's open, whether you want to be or not. And, and, and sometimes we get this idea that because I'm checking all the right boxes off, I'm, I'm good and I'm, I'm okay. But I think if we were honest with ourselves and, and we took a deep look in our heart, there's a lot of us who... We're in love with a lot of things right now, but Jesus ain't one of them. So the, the, the kind of punchline tonight, I guess you could say, is come back to King Jesus. Um, it says come back to Jesus, but I'm saying come back to King Jesus. And uh, tonight, the, the, the verses that we're going to look at are in the, the book you always want me to talk about uh, every time we do a survey. Uh, so we're just going to go there, Revelation. Uh, so turn to Revelation chapter 1, but we're not going to get into all the like prophetic apocalypse. We're not going to be, you know, you know, finding out who the Antichrist is, counting the toes on the beast, figuring out what Donald Trump has to do with you know, anything and um, uh, what, I don't know, UFOs and all that stuff the weird people talk about with Revelation. You know, we're not talking about that. Um, we're <laughs> we're going to be talking about the, uh, the part of Revelation that was specifically written to us right here, right now. And, um, and it's in Revelation chapter 1, and there were some churches that existed um, during Jesus, shortly after Jesus' time, that they were doing maybe some things that we would look at and say, oh, that's good that they're doing that, that's good, but their heart was very far from Jesus. And what was Jesus's quote-unquote, I guess you could say, solution to these churches that had fallen out of love with Jesus? He showed up to John. Um, anybody know anything about John? Um, kind of a big deal in the Bible. 
He wrote the Gospel of John uh, <laughs> because he was an eyewitness to Jesus. Um, he is described in the Bible as the disciple who Jesus loved, meaning they were best friends. Uh, yeah, he, he was Jesus's brah. You know, he was Jesus's best friend, B BFF, or you know, best friend for a lot. Like, they were close. There was no human that Jesus was closer to with friendship than John. Uh, John wrote the Gospel of John, which is the account of Jesus' life. He also wrote 1 John and 2 John and anybody want to guess what the, uh, the other book was? Yeah, 3 John. Uh, and those were letters to churches. John became a pastor after Jesus ascended to heaven. We talked about the ascension, remember, last week. John became a pastor, and he was overseeing a group of churches in an area called Asia. When we think of Asia, we think of, you know, like chopsticks and China and Japan and Korea. Back, that's not the Asia that the Bible talks about. The Asia back then was a province of the Roman Empire, modern-day Turkey which is kind of a, a big deal right now. Apparently, you know, they're going to go invade, the, um, invade Syria and take out the Kurds if you keep up with current events. Um, anyway, it was, it, this church was in modern-day Syria, and what they did was they, um, there, there were seven churches that John was kind of like over top of. Well, John was told by the Roman Empire, don't spread the gospel. Don't tell people about Jesus. And John was like, up yours, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And um, they didn't like that, so they put him in prison. He told the people in prison about Jesus. So, like, you got to stop telling people in prison about Jesus. So then they came up with this idea, let's kill him. And they wanted to kill him in, like, I guess the most painful way possible. So they, um, they took, a, like, a big pot, big enough to fit a human in, put him in the pot, filled it with oil, um, put it over top of a fire, and tried to boil him alive like a Chick-fil-A nugget. And um, they thought they killed him, but they did a really, they're not, they, they could not get a job at Chick-fil-A because they did not boil him. Um, he, he survived um, with apparently a lot of damage to his body, obviously. So they said, okay, now, so what can we do that he's telling people about? So they're like, hey, there's that little island off the coast of the Mediterranean. The island's called Patmos, and it's literally like a rock in the middle of the Mediterranean. Let's just put him on that island. <laughs> Who's he going to talk to other than himself and the guards that are guarding him? So they put him on the, this island called Patmos, deserted, alone, exiled. And what's funny is church tradition says that he, he witnessed to and converted all the guards that were guarding him on the island. But, hey, he's on the island. So John's alone. <laughs> um, and it says in Revelation 1 that he was alone on the Lord's Day, meaning Sunday. He's having, and he was in the Spirit. So he's having a church service with me, myself, and I, you know, it's just a church service of one, you know, but it's the Lord's day and he wants to spend time with God on the Lord's day. And that's kind of where we pick up in the reading. Sorry, Matt, I'm all over the place, aren't I? Um, so it, verse 9, Revelation 1, 9, it says, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance in Jesus was on the Isle of Patmos, that's what we talked about, on account of the word of God, meaning I'm banished there because I kept wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Um, verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a, behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Cyrus. Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. So John's just sitting there, minus I've been to seven, his church service for one, and all of a sudden he hears this loud voice. You ever have somebody walk up behind you and they scare the something out of you? You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, sometimes yeah, I'll, I'll walk in and April doesn't know I'm walking in behind her and I'll say something, she'll go, ah, you know, or vice versa, you know, you know how that happens. So imagine poor John sitting there and then it says Jesus speaks to him in a voice that's like a trumpet. <laughs> 
code brown. You know, it was, it was a pro, you know, I'm sure John was startled. So he says in verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. You know, I think I would too, right? Um, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. These were lampstands similar to what was in the Jewish temple. And in the midst of the lampstands, in the middle, was one like the Son of Man. Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man. He's described as the Son of Man other places in Scripture. So we know this is Jesus. And it, here's the description of Jesus. He was clothed in a long robe with a golden sash. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool. This is what Jesus looks like right now. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, burnt, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of mighty waters. Anybody ever been to like a waterfall like Niagara Falls or Blackwater Falls? Or, you, know, you know how loud the, the water can be or the ocean can be when it's coming in? It deafens everything else. That's Jesus' voice. In his right hand, he held seven stars. We learn later that's representative of the pastors of these seven churches he's writing to. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. You know, when you look at the sun when it's like at its brightest and you squint and then you look somewhere else and there's this like little black ball, <laughs> you know, wherever you look and whenever you close your eyes. That's the majesty of Jesus. That's the Jesus that ascended and is at the right hand of the Father on the throne. And he appears to John and John says, when I saw him, I fell at his face or at his feet as though dead. You know, that kind of answers the Mercy Me song, right? You know, I can only imagine what will I do? Will I dance for you? Well, looks like we're going to fall at our... Uh, at Jesus' feet as though dead um, when we see Jesus. But Jesus, it says, he laid his right hand on, on me saying, fear not, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died and I live forevermore. I have the keys to death in Hades. And here's verse 19. And that's kind of like, uh, I know we're not really prophecy buffs here, but if you're a prophecy buff, you really want to know about Revelation, it's an outline of the book of Revelation. He says, write you, what you've seen. So <laughs> write <laughs> what you saw, <laughs> me. You know, write what is now meaning the state, the condition of these seven churches, and what is to come, things that are yet to come. So that's like an outline of the book of Revelation that Jesus was about to give John. And then in verse, starting in chapter 2, he gives specific things that he wants John to send to each of these churches. So each of these churches have had a problem. They've kind of fallen away from God. And I wish we could do, a, one day we will do a series on each of the seven churches because each of the seven churches we have something in common with. Um, but I feel like, you know, just knowing me and maybe kind of I've been praying about and thinking about you guys, like sometimes I'll just go through the list of refuel teens and just pray for you guys. Excuse me. I've been talking a lot tonight by name and thinking about you guys. And I feel like there's a lot we can learn as, I guess we could say church kids from the church at Ephesus. So let's read what Jesus had to say to this church, and then we'll talk about it. It says, To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it wasn't just written for this church, right? It was written for anyone who has an ear. And I think, as far as I can tell, 
I think we all qualify tonight as someone who has, I got two of them, but you know, all of us have at least one ear. So it's not, it's written to this church immediately, but it's written for all of us to learn from. And um, he writes to this church. This was a literal church in a city called Ephesus. And Matt, go ahead and roll this video. It's going to go as I talk, but you'll see behind me some footage of um, some remains that were unearthed of the ancient city of Ephesus that John was, Jesus told John to write this letter to. This was a real city. It was a, it was a very prosperous city. It was between Rome and between kind of the Mediterranean. So a lot of people go, it was a vacation destination. It was the Myrtle Beach of the Roman Empire. I mean, every, yeah, it was a dirty Myrtle. You know, everybody was going there. Um, and, uh, and it was very wealthy, but there, there, was a lot of, there were a lot of like libraries and educational institutions. And it was, it was very similar to America because we're, they were really intelligent, but they were really broken morally. Um, I couldn't tell this to a middle schooler, but in one of the, the famous library where all the smart people studied in the, in the city of Ephesus, it was a tiered library that was built into the side of a hill. So if, if you were really stupid, you were only allowed to be on the first floor of the library. And you could read some things and you could converse with some people. And if you got smarter, they allowed you to go to the second floor of the library. And that's where, you know, the almost stupid people were. And, and, and if you read and you talked to the people there and you got smarter, they'd let you up. And I think from what I read, there were eight tiers. And there was this tier at the top, still in the side of a mountain, where only the super elite, smart, you know, Einstein, you know, you know 36 on the ACT kind of people would, would, would get to go. And, you know, I can imagine a lot of the hus you know, husbands would say, oh, I'm going to go to the library and study, honey. But what they determined as they dug up this library is that there was a tunnel from the highest place in the library that went through the mountain. And on the other side of the mountain was a brothel where these guys who were supposed to be the smartest guys in the world ever, they would leave their studies and they would go sleep with prostitutes and they'd come back to their studies. So you see, there was this high intelligence, but there was this really broken morality in the city. So the church in Ephesus, they had to kind of know what they believed, right? They had to know the difference between right and wrong. And they had to work really hard to stay pure and stay true to Jesus. So they worked really hard at that. And you see what he says here. Um, he he kind of gives them the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so you can go to the next slide there. I, mean, I thought you guys would like to see. This is a real place. The Bible talks about real places. Um, and there are kind of four things we learn from this church and what Jesus has to say. And to me, they, they all hit me pretty hard. I don't know about you, but the first is um, you may have others fooled, but Jesus knows the condition of your heart. I've got a picture here, you know, of an x-ray of a heart. And, you know, if you walked in here tonight with a heart condition, I could not tell. I mean, unless you were like clutching your chest, like I would not know. But if I took you down to a hospital and I had them do an x-ray or an EKG, you know, we, would, we would figure out that there is, there is something wrong with your heart. We walk through churches, we look at people and we think everybody's good and we think we're good as long as we keep up appearances and and you know if we were to visit this church in Ephesus we would look around at the people in the church and we think man I could I could be a member here like the music is awesome the lights are good the t the bible teaching is incredible and and they know what they believe and they got their doctrine right and they're busting their butts to serve God like I could join this church but Jesus is a much better church shopper than we are it says that he walks among the lampstands, meaning he, he, he walks through these churches spiritually, and he sees what's really going on. Twice he says, I circled these, he says, I know. In verse 2 he says, I know. Verse 3 he says, I know. Jesus knows. And he says, I know your 
There are three things that Jesus knew. He says, I know your deeds, I know your um, dedication, and I know your doctrine. He says, I know your deeds. He says in verse 2, I know your works. You're doing good, quote-unquote, good things. It's impressive what you're doing. You, you, you have a really good youth group, or you have a really good you know, church service, or you have a really good outreach to the community. And then he says, and your toil, and that, that Greek word kind of has to do with working yourself to the point of exhaustion. These people were busted. They were, they, they were there every time the church doors were open. They were doing the downtown outreaches. They were signed up for the mission trips and the VBSs, and they were working tough. They were sweating. They were working hard. It says they had patient endurance, verse 2. Enduring patiently, verse 3. Have not grown weary, verse 3. They were dedicated to working for God. And their doctrine was impeccable. Uh, they, they, we learned they were taught by the apostle Paul. Uh, verse 2, it says, I, 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 you cannot bear those who are evil, meaning they had good discernment. Uh, it says that they tested people who came in. There were people who came in and tried to preach false doctrine in their church. And they're like... Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Get the, out of our church, you know? You know, they didn't, they didn't put up with false teaching. So that sounds like a good church. I mean, that sounds like a place I'd want to join. But Jesus saw past it. He said, I have this against you. You know, it's possible to have, to work for God as hard as you can to the point of exhaustion and for your theology to be so on point that John Piper's taking notes from you and still be very far from God. He says, I have this against you. Jesus had something against this church. What did he have against this church? That's the next point. You may have abandoned Jesus, but he hasn't abandoned you. He said, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. There's some discussion about what that means, the love you had at first, but most scholars, because of the way that in the original Greek, the words are ordered, it has to do with you have left your love for Jesus. When you were saved, you fell in love with Jesus, and then you've fallen out of love with Jesus. And the word for abandon is really interesting. I wasn't really able to get into it very much because of Latin from middle school, just because of it involves the word sex, and they giggle and laugh, and I lose them. But this word for abandon, um, it's a it, it, the word had a lot of Jewish connotations because there was this culture in the Middle East where husbands would abandon their wives, and I guess I don't know how to say it nicely. They trade them in for a newer model. You know what I mean? They, they they'd say, "I'm not attracted to you anymore. Um, you nag me too much. I'm bored with you, so I'm going to divorce you and leave you for somebody that I like better." And that word abandon has to do with that. How in the world did a church that was working so hard abandon their first love? I was thinking about that a lot. How did that happen? Um, they were so close to God. But the only thing I think of is, and I kind of say it like this, the, sometimes the fruit of intimacy can threaten intimacy. And the best way I know how to describe it is the relationship between a husband and a wife, and then what happens? You know, one day you guys are going to grow up and you're going to find someone who melts your butter and, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know all the, 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 the sayings anymore, you know, you know, gives you butterflies in your stomach and, you know, uh, makes you goo-goo and gaga. And, and you say, I want to be with this person for the rest of my life. And you, 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 you stand in the front of a church, a preacher, you know, says a couple things, you know, you, you play a little tonsil hockey in front of the church and you go and you are married and you go on, you know, you go on your honeymoon and you are, you, know, you are in love and you, you, you leave work and you can't wait to get home to your, your, your husband and your bride or, you know, and, 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 well, you know, yeah, 
I don't know. I always get awkward when I talk about this, but you know, God designed sex to be something between a husband and a wife, right? And you know, he in, in, in designed it to be enjoyed. But I don't know if you've learned this in math class, one plus one equals two, but in health class, one plus one equals three. You see what I'm saying here? Um, that when a husband and wife get together, sometimes there is a fruit to their physical intimacy, meaning they have a kid. And then the husband and wife have a hard time spending time together because every time they want to cuddle up and watch Rambo 4, they get the kid to bed. You know, they get one of those like heated blankets, cuddle up on the couch, and all of a sudden, wah! You know, so somebody's got to get up and smack that baby on the butt till it burps or it poops or it does whatever it has to do. You don't get sleep. And the intimacy... Not just physical, but you know, the, the emotional, relational intimacy gets threatened by the fruit of that intimacy. I mean, it doesn't mean you get rid of the baby, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously. Um, but but you, have to <laughs> you have to make some tweaks, right? And, and this church fell in love with Jesus. They were, you know, spiritually, they were close and intimate with Jesus. And the fruit of that intimacy was works. And that's good that you work for God. But they let the fruit of that intimacy threaten their relationship with God. I don't know if that makes, I hope that makes sense. But we, sometimes we fall in love with God and it leads us to do things, which we're supposed to do things for God, but then we, we forget about Jesus. We abandon Jesus. And one thing that we, we know to be true about, about human personality is that if, if, you're in, if your emotional needs or your, 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 your needs for intimacy are not being met by your spouse, a lot of times people go out and they search to have those needs met by someone else. And sometimes when we, we were meant to be close with God and when we don't get close with God because we're so busy working for God, we'll find fulfillment and we'll find things in, in something other than God. But here's the good news you may have abandoned Jesus. You may have realized, hey, I'm, I'm not in a close relationship with God like I used to be. Jesus hasn't abandoned you. He is writing this church a letter. He's saying, come back to me. That kind of leads us to the next point is, you may have stopped loving Jesus. He says, you, you, you have left your first love, but he hasn't stopped loving you. In, in Revelation, Jesus, uh, to the, another one of the churches, he says, I stand at the door of your church and I knock. And I think about Sheldon. Penny, Penny, Penny. Some of you don't know the show. But um, you, Jesus has not stopped loving you. Sometimes we think, man, I've really screwed it up. I've fallen away from God. Does that mean I'm not saved anymore? Does that mean God doesn't love me anymore? God's love is not a reciprocal love. In the dating world, in, in a lot of our world, love is reciprocal, meaning if, I'll only love you if you love me back. If you don't return my love, I'm not going <laughs> to give love to you. And that's just, sometimes it's how it has to be, you know. Um, but Jesus' love for us is not a reciprocal love. The Bible says, John 3, 16, that he loved the world, so he sent Jesus. Romans 5, 8, it says uh, that while we were still sinners, enemies of God, he loved us. John, 1 John 4 says, we love him because he loved us first. Jesus loved you before you loved him, and he'll continue to love you even if you don't love him. You can't lose your salvation because you never earned it to begin with. It's by faith in God. These, this church that had left their first love, they were still children of God. The final thing, um, I wish we had more time to talk about it because it has to do with Kanye and his church services. But um, uh, <laughs> you may look up to other people, but just wait till you see Jesus. What was Jesus' solution to this church that had fallen out of love with him? It wasn't go to this conference. It wasn't 
get together and have a Bible study on soteriology. Um, the solution was, John, I want you to write down what I look like and send it to the churches. So he writes down, he had, he had fiery eyes, he had white hair. When I saw him, I, I, I fell at his feet because he's the only one worth serving, the only one worth loving, the only one worth living for. So he said, Jesus says, you don't need to try harder. You need more of me. You need to see me. You need to know about me and how good I am and how great I am and strong I am and how powerful I am. So tonight, if you feel like you've kind of fallen away from God, you don't need another Bible study. I'm all for studying the Bible. You don't need to go to a conference. You don't need a new devotional book. You need to see Jesus for who he is. So you're just going to have to write these words down because the, the, the natives are restless out there. But there are four R words that we find in this, or three R words that we find in this passage. How, how does Jesus say to get back to your first love? They're all R words, and you may not think this is interesting, but I do. These three words in the Greek are alliterated too, and they're all M words. They're all meta words. I don't know. I thought it was cool. But there are words. And the first, it says, remember how things used to be. Verse 5, it says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Was there a time in your life where you were a lot more on fire for Jesus than you are right now? Where you opened this word and, the, and his truth jumped off the pages at when you, when you talked to Jesus and it felt like you were talking to Jesus, not talking to a wall? Was there a time where you, excited, you were excited? Like, get together with the people of God and sing to the people of God and rock and sway to how he loves with the people of God. Was there a time where you were the first one to want to work for God? Remember how things used to be. It says, in one version, it says, consider how far you've fallen. Then it says repent. Repent doesn't mean try harder. Repent means change your mind. Change your mind about who you are. I put sin, self, and Savior. Change your mind about Jesus because he's so much, so much more worth it than anything else we could pursue. Then the final thing, repeat the basics and don't stop. It says, do the things, the works you did at first. We think we are Christianity 2.0. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like one of those baby Christians. Yeah, I don't need to go to that class. I don't need to get together with the youth group. I don't need to uh, go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night. I don't need to do that. Do the things you did at first. And it's not like it's written in a Greek tense that has to do with not just do it and check it off your, I'm a list guy, you know, do it and check it off your list. Like, okay, uh, I read my Bible, I'm good, I'm back with God. It means to continue in these things, like continually do it, make it part of your lifestyle. So, yeah, I'll just kind of end by asking, are you as close to God as you were a year ago? Are you as close to God as you were six months ago? Have you left your first love? Are you like me? You've been so over churched and over Christianized that you've fallen out of love with Jesus? Man, I pray that our hearts are tender to Jesus. I pray that we'll go back to our first love. Um, so we're going we're gonna to pray together, and, and maybe as we pray, you want to just kind of rededicate your life and your service and your heart to God. It's not about what you do. Working ain't working for you, is it? It's about coming back to Jesus. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that your word is so... Uh, it just cuts right to the chase sometimes. It exposes things in our hearts um, that, that, that we, we hide from people. Um, but God, nothing is out of your sight. And, and, and thank you that even though you know, we, we've put distance between us and you, God, that you still pursue us. You're so merciful. You still go after us even though we've fallen, even though we've sinned. You're still there knocking on the door. So God, I pray that we'll answer the door tonight.
We'll bring you back into our lives. We'll put you first because there's only one spot for a king in our lives. I pray that it'll be you who sits on the throne of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.